Tomorrow Matters. This is the third in the series, and you're getting ready. You don't really know for what, but it's for tomorrow, and that's what we're going to talk about today, because over here is your today. Over here is your reality, and over here is your tomorrow, which hopefully is your vision. So the real question you have is how do you get from there to there? How do you go from your reality now to where you think tomorrow is? Because let me tell you, in God's eyes, tomorrow matters. It's very important to him that you know your tomorrow. How often do you think about tomorrow? How often do you picture what it's going to be like? First time that happened to me, I was 10 years old. And I was visiting my grandparents in Chicago, and they lived on South Shore Drive, and I wasn't old enough, as were my brother and sister, to go to the law offices with him at his law practice. So they would drop me off. Now, this was a safe time in American history. They actually dropped me off with lunch money at the Museum of Science and Industry. How many of you have ever been there? Okay, the rest of you, you're really missing something. That's the one thing in Chicago that's worth seeing, I know, because I went there from 10 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon for a whole week. <laughs> I've seen everything that's there. And I used to go there, and they let me out, and when it opened, I went in, and I went down to the coal mine first because it was actually an operating coal mine, saw that. I remember watching uh, the movie about and then visiting the submarine that they pulled across South Shore Drive that they had captured. It was there. A lot of neat stuff there about history and about the past. But the area that I liked the most was where they talked about tomorrow, about the future. Now, I'm 10... You know, it's in the 1950s, and I go into this room, and in one place they have these, these stands with lights on them. And it gets dark, and the lights come on. And then it gets light, and the lights go off. And I'm thinking somebody's flipping a switch. And then they tell you, no, these are actually activated by less light. And I'm going, whoa, that's really cool. And then I saw something I never thought I would see, moving sidewalks moving sidewalks. And of course, they were telling us that all sidewalks would be moving. Uh, but they're not. They're just moving at the uh, airports. And so when you go in, that's what they were talking about. But as a 10-year-old, you know, I'm seeing this and I'm going, that's amazing. And they were talking about airplanes. And back then, I think the DC-1 was about the top of the heap. And they were talking about jets and what they were going to do with those. And I just became so enamored with tomorrow, I decided I wanted to see tomorrow. So I had a purpose to live. Now, it was my only purpose was to see tomorrow. I had no idea where tomorrow was because I still have not yet found it because every day I think I get there, it's today. <laughs> so somehow I've lost tomorrow. But I know this. God has a tomorrow for me. He has a tomorrow for you. But we live in the present. So here's the question. How do you bridge the chasm? How do you get from where you are now to a tomorrow that matters to God? Now notice, that matters to God. It matters more to him that you pursue what he has than it is that you pursue what you think you have. That's the question. Well, think about the life of Christ. Christ came here and was perfectly obedient to his father. He had faith in his father, and he walked that walk for 33 years to bridge the distance between his reality on the earth 
and his tomorrow in eternity so that he could take us with him. So he's already done what he's asking you and me to do. He's already prepared a way that we can move from our reality to our tomorrow that matters. When Paul is writing young Timothy, he's letting him know that there are some things you need to understand about getting from there to there. And in 2 Timothy, his last letter to Timothy, in the fourth chapter, he writes this simple statement in conclusion of his own life. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We're going to turn those around a little bit. We're going to start with this, that if you want to move from your current reality to the future, you're going to have to live by faith. You're going to have to run the race. You're going to have to fight the fight. But before you do that, you have to answer this question. Do you have the courage to abandon what is for what might be? See, that's a risk, isn't it? But consider the reward. That's how you make decisions, risk versus reward. The risk of moving to where God wants you to be is zero when you confront it with the reward that you're going to receive when you get there. Because we have been granted eternal life, and our purpose on this earth, in our present tense, is to do whatever God has called us to do, to fulfill it for Him, to do it for His glory. It's not about us, it's Him. But you get great joy and pleasure and peace out of doing that for Him. And then He moves you closer and closer toward that ultimate future that has a great reward. But you have to make the choice. I remember being confronted by that after many years of ministry, thinking everything's fine, everything's settled now, everything's good, I'm in a good spot, and, and I'm doing a good job, I know I'm pleasing God, and then I was challenged, do you have the courage to abandon all of that to do what God wants you to do? Big, big risk, but not really, not if you're following God. And I wanted to do what God wanted me to do, so... I ultimately said to him, look, I want to live in your presence, so I'll do whatever you want me to do, go wherever you want me to go, no matter what it costs. See, there's a statement. What did it cost Jesus? It cost him his life. Why do you and I think that we're not going to have battles and wars and get fatigued and have problems as we move toward that ultimate fulfillment in Christ? Of course we are. Because if they did it to the master, they're going to do it to his disciples. So we can expect that this race we're going to run is going to require us to have a lot of faith and it's going to require us to keep running the race and it's also going to demand that we fight the fight. It's a long journey, but it's one that God wants you to do. So the first statement comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus when he says this about keeping the faith. In chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The past few weeks, even before we started this three-part series, we said once that grace is how you were saved, that faith came with that, that both of those were a gift from God. So the faith you have lives in you, and it's the power of Jesus Christ living in you. 
That's what faith is. You have to have that faith to get from today's reality to a tomorrow that matters. You can't do it without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what is faith? It's a belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a belief that everything God says in Scripture is absolutely true. It's a belief that the Spirit of God lives in you and that he will guide you and direct you if you're yielding to him. So that's what faith is. Faith comes intentionally. You need to be very intentional about your faith. When you're confronted, you need to make that statement. This is my faith. This is what I believe. I've drawn a line in the sand. Faith also brings with it change. And change has to be intentional. You see, you can't just change your behavior and think that everything else is going to follow. You have to change your thinking. When you change your thinking and your mind is in balance with the scriptures of, of the Word of God, when you're bringing every thought captive to the Word of God, when you have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, then you are able to intentionally move ahead. But it's going to happen gradually. Change does not come quickly. It happens over time. Change has been working in each of you ever since you first got saved. And if you're not saved, then today change begins in you. Been working on me for 45 years. I'm not done because it happens gradually, but I'm intent upon it happening. It also happens seldomly, and that's because we fight the change. Change does not belong to those who are comfortable with the status quo. If you're just as happy as you can be right where you are and you're not looking to a tomorrow that matters, you're never going to change. But if you see God's hand in tomorrow, if you see what he wants you to do, then there's potential for you to change. Now, change happens to each of us individually, but we're about to embark as a church on a major change. And you're going to see that in the next five weeks when we start next week. We're going to be talking about the things that God has called us to do together, intentionally, that he wants us to move ahead to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ, to advance it throughout this county and Gratiot County and around the world. That's what he's looking to do. And that's something we have to do together. That's something that's going to require each of us to envision that tomorrow that God has for us so that we can pursue it the way that he wants it pursued. Tomorrow is going to arrive. You just have to be ready for it. You have to change your direction. That's why less is more. That's why stress is bad. You're never going to get to tomorrow when you're burdened with more. You'll have a difficult time arriving at tomorrow if you're living under stress. And Jesus said, if you've got problems, bring them to me because I can carry them for you. So he has this plan for you and for me to be able to get to tomorrow. God once said to my wife and me, he said, here's what's going to happen. Your life's going to be like a puzzle. We're talking about maybe a 1,500-piece puzzle. I know some of you like the 50-piece puzzle. That's okay. But you know the big puzzle, the one that you pour out on the table? What do you do first? Yeah, the edges. That's right. That's what I always volunteer to do that because it makes me look good. You know, I get all the edges together. God said... Your life is going to be like a puzzle. 
And I'm saying that to you because it's the same for all of us. You will be able to put the edges together. You'll see the parameters of your call to me, to walk with me. You're going to see that. But don't even think about trying to put the pieces together. So you're not going to understand the pieces until I put them together. And when I put some together, you're going to go, oh, look, yeah, wow, wasn't that great? And as that time unfolds, more and more pieces of the puzzle come together, and you begin to realize that, wow, when I was back over here, he put things together. Now I'm here, and I'm headed to there. And then today I'm over here, and I'm headed there. It's exciting when that puzzle is coming together. But it's going to require change. And there are three things about change you need to understand. First of all, change is opportunity. Don't look at change as your enemy. God is about changing us, conforming us to the image of his son. That's what he wants to do. So if you are willing, the spirit who lives within you is going to bring about that change in you gradually and intentionally if you let it happen. Otherwise, it'll be seldom. So it's up to you to engage that. Change is not the same for everyone. So you and I, we can't change anybody. Wives, you can't change your husbands. You thought you could when you married them. It didn't work, did it? Okay, husbands, you can't change your wives. We don't change one another. God changes us. So you pray for the other party that God will change them, not to be what you want them to be, but what he wants them to be. So God has given us an opportunity to change, and it's not the same for each one of us. And lastly, change is certainly not a single event. It's not something that just happens, and that's it. It happens, and it continues to happen, and it happens in different arenas. It is an opportunity, but once again, if you're pleased with the status quo, you're never going to change. And God wants you to change. Your meaning of life is not measured solely by your current reality. Your meaning in life is fully understood in your eternal tomorrow that matters. You see, God is more concerned with who you and I are than he is with what we do. And yet he's concerned with what we do because he wants us to do that which is in keeping with his will, with his desires, to expand the kingdom, to reach out and see people come to Jesus Christ, to see the weak strengthened, to see the sick healed. He wants to do all of that, but we're the vehicles that make that happen. And that's why he wants to change us to become more like Christ. It's a process, and you're in the midst of it. Now, less is more is your individual problem. You can take it to Jesus. Stress is bad is your individual problem. You can take that to Jesus. Tomorrow is not only an individual problem, it's a corporate problem, but it's an opportunity, not a problem. God is saying, I want community church to come together on purpose to do something to expand the kingdom. The risk is equal to the reward, and everybody in here is going to be rewarded in glory when we stand before him if we expand the gospel in his name, if we see more and more people coming to Jesus, more and more people being delivered from the difficulties of life, more people with a, a brightness, a shining glory among them so that you know these are people who are following Jesus. That's what God wants for us.
because he wants us to run the race. Look what Paul says about running the race. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. How do we run? Well, we have to run together. If we're going to run this race as the body of Christ, as the church, from our current reality to the tomorrow that matters to God and to us, then we have to run it together. Now, understand this. Animals run in packs. Wolves run, you heard of a wolf pack. They run in packs. You know why? For two reasons. First of all, for the protection it provides against a predator. If there are a whole bunch of us and there's one thing against us, we're going to win. And also, to take down that predator, we should be together. When we want to attack, we want to do it as the body of Christ attacking. So he's called us to move together in this process. We need to move lightweight. We need to get the restraints off of us. We need to move in single-mindedness. And we've said it before, one of the great things about this church is the fact that we are united in our vision to lead people into a focused life with Jesus Christ. We're united to work together. Every group in this church is thinking the same thing. We want to see more people come to know Jesus. Now, here's the thing about the race. We don't know how long the race is going to last, do we? Individually, I don't know how long my race will be. You don't either. But there's some things about racing that teach you that no matter how long your race is, you wait upon the Lord. It's almost an oxymoron statement that I'm running and waiting. I'm running and waiting. William Carey went to India, and he ran for seven years there, taking the gospel before someone was saved. Adoritum uh, Judson did the same thing for seven years. West Africa, 14 years. Tahiti, 16 years. People waiting for someone to come to Christ all these years, but never giving up the race, never stopping the running of the race. So you and I have been called to, to race, to run it. So there, there are seven pointers about running smarter and running faster. Here they are. First of all, you run to win. Never enter a race that you don't want to win. That just doesn't make sense. If I'm going to run a race, I want to win the race I'm in. I may not win, but it was my intention to win. Secondly, be disciplined. In order to run like that, I need to get my heart, my mind, my body, everything together in sync, and I need to be able to discipline myself with the Christian disciplines, study the scripture, being able to pray, being able to worship together, being in a group where I can share feelings and thoughts, being able to defend my faith. All these disciplines need to be a part of you and a part of me if I'm going to run to win. And so I'm going to work on those disciplines. Third, I'm not going to look back. Looking back only takes me off track. And I know that's no rhyme intended. I know that's a fact. Okay, here's why. 
My phone rings when I'm driving my car. I don't like to mess with the phone when I'm driving, and I don't have a car that lets me put it into Bluetooth and do all that stuff. Um, but as soon as I pick that phone up and I look down at it, I look back up, and I've either drifted right or left every single time. I just can't seem to hold it straight and read this without going that way or that way. That's what he's talking about, is that every time you take your eyes off and you look at something other than that tomorrow that matters, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find yourself drifting away from the target. Years ago, 1969, when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, uh, he later made this statement. He said, you know what? If our landing had been two inches off, wouldn't have mattered at all. But if our takeoff had been two inches off, no moon. Just a two-inch diversion from takeoff, and they missed the whole moon. See, when you're over here in your reality, and you're looking at that tomorrow that God has for you, and you're wondering, okay, how am I going to get there? What he's saying is, you run with the intent to win, you discipline yourself for that race, and don't look back. Paul said, forgetting what is behind, I press forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we're constantly moving forward. Fourth, be encouraged by others. You need to be encouraging one another. I need to be encouraging you. You need to be encouraging me. We need to be saying, good race, good run, keep going. Because that's what continues to help us. God is saying it to us, but he generally speaks through those of us he's created. And he encourages us through you. And you are encouraged by one another. That's why groups are so important. Next, throw off all your restraints. That's where less is more and stress is bad. Get rid of those to be able to pursue that tomorrow that matters. Discount pain. You are not going to be able to run a race without some pain. And this pain can be spiritual pain, can be physical pain, be financial pain, be emotional pain. You know, pick all the categories of life. You may find that one or more of those are affecting you and they're negative and they're hurting you. But you can't let that stop the race. It didn't stop Jesus Christ, who ran the race for 33 years at the cost of his own life because he saw what mattered. What mattered was obedience to the Father. What mattered was the reconciliation of the lost into the presence of God again. What mattered was the forgiveness of sins. This is awesome. This is what he saw. And so the Bible in Hebrews says, for the joy set before him... He suffered even the death of the cross. What was the joy? To be in the presence of the Father. And that's why our being in his presence as a corporate unity, as the body of Christ at Community Church, it's so important that we all run the race together, that we stay focused, that we get rid of the pain. Don't even worry about it. Don't look back. Make it a light run. And then lastly, don't stop till you cross the finish line. Do not stop. No matter what, don't stop. He didn't call us to stop and get comfortable and think that this life is what's important. No, it's eternal life that's important, 
But what I can accomplish for God through his power, through his call on my life, what I can do, I want to do until the very day that he calls me home. doesn't matter what calling you're in, what occupation you're in. You're a witness. You're a missionary for Jesus Christ. And as that missionary, you can change jobs, but you can't change being a missionary. You can't change doing the things that God wants you to do. So don't stop. When that day comes, you already have an appointment. He hasn't told it when it, when it is. We don't know. But I have an appointment with him. And when that appointment arrives, I want to be able to stand before him and say, I ran the race. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. Because that's, that's what I need to do. That's what is important. Reggie White was a, a great football player. He played at the University of Tennessee. He was an All-American. Then he went off and played in professional football for 15 years. And he was all everything. He's in the Hall of Fame. But more than that, he was a great man of God. He was an ordained Baptist pastor after his sophomore year in college. He came to Jesus, got ordained. He was known as the minister of defense because he played defense throughout his whole life, but they called him the minister of defense. Here's what he said. If when I die, I'm only known as a great football player, my life will have been worth nothing. His reality was he was a great football player. As he pursued life, all that most people saw was a great football player. What they didn't see was a man of God who was ministering into people, men and women alike, and who left a legacy, who was called home by God at the age of 43. A very young life, but a very impactful life because he wouldn't stop running the race. He kept running the race. Keep the faith, run the race. But know this, there's a battle that will ensue. Fight the fight. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Have you ever heard this statement? If you plan for peace, then you better prepare for war. The Latin term is parabellum, prepare for war. We are in a spiritual war. We war not against flesh and blood, against one another. We don't war against Republicans or Democrats or independents. We don't war against other nations. You know what our war is? It's a spiritual war. It's a war against the principalities and the powers of darkness. That's where our war is. The evil one does not want this church to continue to grow in grace and in the mercy of God and in healing. He doesn't want to see us expand God's kingdom he wants us to die. He comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. That's his purpose. And let me tell you, he's going to try that with you. He's going to try everything he can to get in your face and hamper you from spiritual attack. It's directed at us. 
I hope you have read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If not, put it on your bucket list because it's one of the greatest allegories ever written in history about the Christian faith. There are tons and tons of characters in it. The prime character is a man called Christian. And Christian is leaving his family, carrying this burden of sin and unforgiveness with him, and he wants to know where to take it. And he's told the celestial city is the place to go. That's what evangelist says to him. And en route to that city, he comes across dozens of different characters, almost every single one of them trying to divert his path. It's what you and I are going to run into. One of the ones that's most influential to me is the character called Worldly Wise Man. Now he stops Christian and he says, who told you that you should go up this pathway, that you should go toward that place called the Celestial City? Who gave you that information? He says, evangelists did. Here's Worldly Wise Man's reply. There isn't a more dangerous and troublesome way in the world to travel than the way he has told you to go. You'll certainly learn this the hard way if you listen to his advice. In fact, by the looks of things, I'd say you already experienced some of this difficulty. Isn't that the dirt and grime of the sloth of despond I see on you? What you don't realize is that sloth is just the beginning of the sorrows you'll experience if you listen to that man. Other pilgrims who have gone that way could very well tell you the truth of that experience. Listen to me. Worldly wise man says, I am older and more experienced than you. If you continue in this direction, you are likely to experience wearisomeness, painfulness, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, and in a word, death. And who knows what else? Wow, what an encouraging word for Christian to be engaged with, to try to decide, should I keep going toward a tomorrow that matters? Let me tell you, that's allegory, but there's a whole bunch of truth hidden inside that allegory. Because that's what you're going to face. As we move together as a church to expand the kingdom of God, all of these factors are going to come to play on us, but it depends on where are you in the race? Have you really envisioned that tomorrow where the streets are moving and the lights are on? Have you envisioned that tomorrow that God is calling us all to together? We can't do this alone, but we can certainly do it together. God is going to bless our efforts together. When I was in military school, my first two years of university, there were two terms that were used quite often, and interestingly enough, I find them in the book of Ephesians. The first one was this, put on. And what they were saying to us was, today we're going to march in full uniform in our regalia and all of our shined hats and brass and with our weapons, and we're going to march around the quadrangle, and there are going to be hundreds of us out there, so put on your gear. And we would put it on. But every three weeks, you'd hear this statement. The whistle would blow, and they'd say, okay, take up the stuff you need for the weekend because we're going to do maneuvers out in the woods and out in the mountains. So put on all of your camo gear and, and pick up the weapons that you need. You see, there's a difference. Put on is for a parade. Pick up or take up is for war. Living the Christian life is not a parade. 
Living the Christian life is war. But we have already won the victory through Christ Jesus, who has defeated the enemy. So we have the privilege then of taking that truth, holding on to it, believing it by faith, running this race toward a tomorrow that matters, fighting the fight and getting victories along the way. And that's what we're going to do. But we need everybody in here to be on board with us. That's what you're going to learn about for the next five weeks. God is still in the business of doing mighty and miraculous things. Now, the one person I know among best, among many, is my wife. Three and a half years ago, she was diagnosed with metatastic breast cancer. It was in four places in her body. And she said, in my words, well, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to praise Jesus through every chemotherapy. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. Three and a half years, she's been on a dozen mission trips. She hasn't stopped working for Jesus at all because she's been fighting the fight and running the race. She was told, this is one of those kinds of cancer from which you'll never be delivered. You'll have to come every three weeks for the rest of your life for treatment. She said, praise God. And that's what she's been doing. Last Friday, she visited her oncologist. The oncologist said, we don't fully understand, but you're in full remission. We have no idea. Praise God. And you know what? I know this, that hundreds of you have been praying for her because we did it together. See, we shared that need, and that need not because I'm a pastor, but because you love her and we love one another. God chooses to do things. We don't know why he chooses, why he hasn't healed everybody with cancer. I don't know. But he chose to do her, and she is my illustration for running the race, keeping the faith, and fighting the fight. God wants us to do that, and over the next few weeks, you're going to really hear some different things, some interesting opportunities and privileges coming your way. It'll be five weeks of it. starts next week. Make the commitment now to come for the next five weeks. You don't want to miss it because it's going to paint a tomorrow that matters beyond anything you could imagine. Watch this with me. Together on purpose. It's not just a tagline to hang on a sign. It's more than simply a catchy phrase. It's part of the core vision of Community Church to lead our community into a focused life with Jesus Christ. It's more than church services. It's about having an encounter with Jesus. That's always been the heartbeat of Community Church, the guiding mission. As we explore a new season of ministry, that mission remains constant. After prayer and seeking God's face, we're entering a new season with new opportunities and exciting challenges ahead of us. We know the kingdom reward is far greater than we could ever accomplish alone. We will never stop chasing the vision of Together on Purpose. Sharing the gospel will always compel us to look forward, to keep moving. To expand the reach of the gospel in our community, we must advance. So 
So that's what's coming for the next five weeks. We're going to advance. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to repeat these one more time so that you'll go away with them in your minds and in your hearts. Here we go. You ready? Less is more. Stress is bad. Tomorrow matters. And tomorrow begins right now as you go to lunch. Have a great day.